Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, reading there in the second chapter beginning at the 37th verse. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. I need not tell you this is a beautiful morning, and I hope that all of us are glad that we are alive, that we have the privilege on this day of coming into God's house and of worshiping him. Today, if you looked on your church calendar, is known as Trinity Sunday. This is the day when we have a festival. We celebrate the festival of the Holy Trinity. And we may say, what is this festival? And may I say about it, it's a little different from the other church festivals in that most of the other festivals celebrate an event that took place. When we celebrate Christmas, it celebrates an historic event, the birth of Jesus. And when, again, we celebrate Good Friday, it celebrates the historic event of his death. And when Easter came, the historic event of his resurrection. And then came Ascension, an event when Jesus went back to heaven. Then last Sunday, you know, was Pentecost, when we celebrated the actual outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the birthday of the Christian church. Now, when you come to Trinity Sunday, uh, it does not in any way celebrate an historic fact. Our church fathers thought this, that in the festival half of the church here, there ought to be one Sunday set aside when we do honor to our triune God, our one God and yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that is this Sunday. And so this is the Sunday when we honor our God, whom we know as a three-in-one, a triune God. May I say that the text that I just read is very appropriate for this Sunday. Uh, These were words spoken by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost, the celebration that we had last Sunday. You recall that on Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out, and then the Apostle Peter preached a sermon. And when he finished that sermon that day, we are told that in the multitudes there were many who were picked in their heart. They were touched to the core and they turned because they were filled with fear, and they said to Peter and to the disciples, Men and brethren, what must we do? Tell us what we are to do. In other words, we'd like to be saved. What do we have to do? And then it was that the apostle Peter turned, and he said these words. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. They wanted to know, What do you do in order to be saved from eternal death? What do you do in order to be saved unto eternal life? What do you do to get your sins forgiven? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you. And on this Trinity Sunday, as we celebrate again the Trinity of our God and give him honor, 
The Apostle Peter says to you and me, will you repent and be baptized if you want to be saved? And you and I may say, I want to be saved. I want to have the assurance that my sins are forgiven. I want to be delivered from an eternity of punishment separated from God. And I want to live with God in heaven in eternity. And then Peter says, if you want to be saved, repent and be baptized. See to it that you have repented. See to it that you are baptized, every one of you. And don't let anyone feel that it's not for him. And yet that may present a problem to you and me this morning. We may say, we are to repent and to be baptized if we want to be saved. And we may say, why? Why do I have to repent? Why do I have to be baptized? What's so important about repenting? What is so wonderful about baptism? In fact, we may hear these words so often in church, this thing of repenting and being baptized, that we may say they, they have sort of degraded themselves and they have depreciated themselves. And we may look at this thing of repent and we say, well, now let's see, repent to be sorry. And we may say, that's a cheap thing in order to expect salvation from it, that I am to repent just to say that I am sorry. We may say, that's sort of a, oh, that's a cheap, that's an inconsequential, that's an insignificant thing. Uh, what's so important about repenting? Then we may say, well, I'm to be baptized. Uh, what's so all fire and important about having somebody sprinkle some water on your head? And we may say, uh, uh, this is, oh, this is sort of a cheap thing. Uh, this almost borders on the ridiculous that I'm to say I'm sorry and have somebody put some water on my head. And then if that's what I must do to be saved, we may say, why? What's so important? Why is this such a necessity? We may look at this thing and we may say, after all, it's surely not meritorious. It isn't that because I say I'm sorry and I let somebody put some water on my head, that that means that that's so meritorious in the sight of God, that God is so anxious to save me, that this is such a great good work. And you and I say, there's surely nothing meritorious about this thing. And so we have a problem, don't we? We say, if we want to be saved, and we do, and the Apostle Peter says, repent and be baptized. And we say, why? What is so important? Why is it so necessary? Why is this a thing, something that is such an imperative in our life? And yet the Apostle Peter this morning on this Trinity Sunday would say to you and me, if you want to be saved, if you want to spend eternity with God in heaven, repent and be baptized, and he would assure you and me that these are absolute necessities. These are things that must be done in your life and mine. Even though we may say, oh, they're rather cheap, they're a little bit insignificant, they're a little trivial, and surely they're anything but meritorious. We ought to this morning look at these repenting and being baptized. What do they really mean? If, again, these things have lost their meaning for you and me and come down to a little simple foolish thing of I'm sorry and let somebody sprinkle some water on my head, I think we ought to spend a little time in saying, what do they really mean? In the first place, Peter would remind you and me of this. That again, repentance on your part and mine means this, that we turn to Jesus Christ and we admit to him that we are sinners and that we are lost and we are condemned to hell because of our sins. Oh, there's nothing cheap about repentance. You and I may have made it glibly in our life. Say, I'm sorry. And oh, that's kind of cheap, isn't it? We may say, if this thing isn't meritorious. I don't earn salvation just because I'm sorry. That isn't such a great work in the sight of God. But if you and I remember that Peter was speaking this day, 
It was exactly 53 days from the time when Peter, you know, when he was in the courtyard of Caiaphas, had miserably turned and had denied his Lord and had disgraced him and that Peter had disgraced himself. You remember the word of God tells us that it was on Easter Sunday afternoon that the risen Christ made a special appearance to Peter alone. And the word of God doesn't tell us anything about it. Have you any idea what they must have talked about that afternoon when the risen Christ appeared to Peter who had disgraced himself and disgraced his Lord and said, I never knew him, I've never seen him in my life, and he cursed and he swore in order to make them around him. I think that this is what he done. I don't think it's very hard to imagine what Peter said. I imagine that Pete Johnson stood before Jesus that Easter Sunday afternoon and he said, Lord, I did it. I don't know why, but I did. And I own up to it. I have no apologies. I have no excuses. I'm a sinner. I said that I didn't even know you. And if you dealt with me the way you ought to, you ought to damn me forever. That's what I deserve. And I'm sure that's what Pete Johnson said to him that Easter Sunday afternoon. There isn't anything cheap about repentance. Repentance means this. It's more than just goodly saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Repentance means that I'm sorry and I stand before you, Lord Jesus, and I admit that I'm a sinner. And I admit that if you dealt with me the way I deserved, I ought to spend eternity in hell. That's what repentance means. And the Apostle Peter knew what it was. There's nothing cheap about it. And there's nothing meritorious. You and I may say, well, how do I come to a conviction like that, that I'm a sinner? And how do I come to a conviction that I'm lost and damned? The Word of God says, by the law is the knowledge of sin. When you and I look at our lives according to the Ten Commandments, and we know that God says, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And in each one of the commandments, God says, Thou shalt and thou shalt not, and you and I don't measure up. And God says, Because you have broken my law, you stand guilty. And I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. When you and I dare to look at our lives according to the law, the Ten Commandments, that's when we cry out and say, I am a sinner, and I deserve to be banished to hell. There are no excuses. There are no extenuating circumstances. That's what repentance means. And therefore, no wonder Peter would say, if you want to be saved, then as he told them that day on Pentecost, he says, repent and be baptized. Repentance is an absolute necessity because only then do you and I show Jesus Christ that we want to be saved. Show me a man that doesn't admit he's a sinner. Show me a man that doesn't admit that if God in justice would deal with him, he'd damn him. And I'll show you a man that doesn't want to be saved. Repentance isn't cheap. It isn't meritorious. And that's why Peter says again on that day, and he says to you and me today, if you want to be saved, if you really want to spend eternity with God in heaven, then again, you've got to repent. And it isn't cheap. It isn't something that's glib. It isn't just something trivial. It isn't something that, again, can be reduced to an absurdity. It means to be sorry that we stand before him and we admit that we are lost and damned sinners. We say to ourselves, no wonder Peter would say, and he knew by personal experience what it all meant. He stood there that day before that multitude and when they said, what shall we do? And he said, this is what you do, you repent. And he says, you are baptized. And we may say, what's so all-fired important and necessary about repenting and Peter would remind you and me that it isn't cheap this thing of repentance this thing of saying sorry for my sin that it means this that you and I also turn to Jesus Christ 
and we tell him this, that we are sorry enough to quit doing those things which we know are wrong. Have you ever wondered what happened on Easter Sunday afternoon when the risen Christ was with Peter alone? He was with Pete Johnson who had disgraced him and who had disgraced himself, who had shamed him and said, I never knew him and cursed and swore I never saw that man in my life. What do you think Peter said in repentance that afternoon? It isn't hard to understand that Peter, standing before Jesus, no doubt said, I'm sorry, I'm ashamed of myself, and I admit that I'm lost and condemned. And also that he said, I'm sorry enough that, Lord Jesus, it'll never happen again. I'll never be ashamed of you. I'll never deny you again. I'll never tell anybody I don't know you. I'll never do anything in my life that I know is deliberately wrong. That's what repentance means. It's nothing cheap and it's nothing meritorious. When in your life and mine, you say to ourselves, I'd like to be saved. I'd like to spend eternity in heaven. And Peter says, repent. And that means this, that you and I, this is a repentance that isn't cheap stuff. This is a repentance that is really the only kind that we not only face Jesus with our sins, but we say this, I, I'm not going to do it over again. I'm going to stop doing those things in my life which are wrong. And if you and I again are guilty of drunkenness or adultery or immorality or of deceit or of dishonesty, whatever it is, we stop when we say this is at an end. I'm sorry enough to quit. That is an absolute necessity. Why? Because only when you and I are sorry enough to quit doing that which we know is wrong, only then are we telling Jesus Christ that we really want to spend eternity in heaven where there's holiness. Unless you and I are sorry enough to quit doing that which we know is wrong, who in the world wants to spend an eternity in heaven in holiness? If in your life and mine there isn't this kind of repentance that we say, I'm quitting doing that which is wrong, heaven would be a horrible place to think of it, to spend eternity where there is only holiness and there is only purity when you and I can't give it up in this world. Heaven would be hell, wouldn't it? And therefore, again, no wonder, Peter, this is an absolute necessity. You've got to repent and only then do we tell Jesus, I do want to spend eternity with you in heaven where there's holiness, and that I am not one that just simply say it's a lesser of two evils. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want to suffer, and therefore I'll take the lesser of two evils. I'll take a chance on eternity in holiness. That kind of repentance is cheap. That is, again, no repentance, of course, is meritorious. But again, we say to ourselves, what's so all-fired important? Why is it an absolute essential that if I want to be saved, I've got to repent? The only way in God's world that you have in your life and I have in my life to let Jesus Christ know that we really want to go to heaven, that we want to be with him in the holiness of heaven, is by not a cheap repentance, but a repentance that proves that on earth that we want to live holy lives, that we are preparing in this world in order to live in the eternal mansions where there will be no sin. And unless repentance brings that determination in your heart and mind, uh, then it's absolutely not worth anything. It's the cheapest thing in the world. And again, surely not meritorious, but that is not repentance. That's just a little glib, I'm sorry, going on and living as we please. 
We say to ourselves on this Trinity Sunday, when Peter says, if you want to be saved, if you want to spend eternity with God in heaven, then you're going to have to repent, and you're going to have to be baptized. And we say, why? Uh, this thing, it's, why this is sort of a cheap thing to say, I'm sorry, and, and sprinkle, somebody can sprinkle a little water on my head, and this is going to do it. Uh, there's nothing so meritorious in that. Peter would remind him, but it's an absolute necessity because he would also remind you that repentance means this, that we turn to Jesus Christ and put our faith and our trust in him for eternal life, trusting him as our Savior. Whenever in the word of God you find the word repentance standing alone, we say it's in the wider sense that it includes sorrow for sin and it also includes faith in Jesus Christ. There are other statements in scripture where when it says repent and believe the gospel, well then repentance has a narrower meaning which means sorrow for sin, standing and admitting it and telling God will not do it again. So repentance includes faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing cheap about repentance. Repentance means this, that I stand before Christ and I tell him, I put my faith and my confidence in you as my personal Savior. If you and I want to be saved, this is an absolute must. And we go back to Peter. Peter came to that conviction in his life. Remember that he came down from Bethsaida in Galilee. He and his brother Andrew, and they came down where John the Baptist was preaching. And they were a follower of John. And then you remember Andrew met Jesus and Andrew introduced Simon Peter to Jesus, and he got this name, Peter. Simon was with him and wondering, is this the Messiah? Is he the Christ? Is he the Savior? And after three years of being with him, you recall up on the Caesarean Philippian Highway, when Jesus asked the disciple, who do you say that I am? It was Simon Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he came to the conviction that here this Jesus of Nazareth was God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. He was the Savior of the world. Peter had trouble, as did the other disciples, in understanding Christ's death. But even that became something understandable, that he knew that on the cross when God's Son died, he was bearing the guilt and the punishment of the world's sin. And he knew that after he arose from the dead, that here was life and salvation. This was the promised Messiah. This was the Christ who was to come. And when Peter stood before that group that day on Pentecost, and they said, what shall we do? There were trouble. We'd like to be saved. Peter says, repent. And that means you've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That isn't meritorious just to say that I have faith. I don't merit salvation because it's so good to have faith. Faith, again, connects me to Jesus Christ. That's the value of faith. It's like the umbilical cord of the unborn child. It isn't the cord that is so important, but it's the fact that the umbilical cord connects the unborn child to its mother. That's where it gets its power. And again, when you and I put our faith and our trust in Christ, and we believe that he died for us and rose again, and we rest our confidence in him, then he gives us the robe of righteousness that he earned for us and for all men. And that robe, when we put it on, it simply pardons our sins and covers them up. And that robe, because it's whiter than snow and it's without spot and wrinkle, when God looks at you and me, there is no punishment. Then we have a holiness, the robe of Jesus Christ that admits us to heaven. It's an absolute must. If you and I want to be saved, Peter would say that you've got to repent because repentance means that this is faith which joins us to Christ and he's the only one that has life and eternal salvation. Isn't anything cheap? 
It isn't something that we say, well, it's rather trivial, it's insignificant. Uh, it's almost an absurd thing to say, I'm sorry, oh no. Repentance means faith, confidence, that we rest our eternal destiny in Jesus as the eternal Son of God. And Peter, when he was speaking that day, he also said, repent and be baptized. We may say, you mean just to have somebody sprinkle a little water on your head and this is the end. Remind you and me that this is an absolute necessity because baptism means this, that when we are baptized, we are born again. How many of us understand that? Oh, it looks like you just sprinkle a little water on a child's head. When we think about baptism, remember what Jesus said in John 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus? And he told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born a second time. And then he told him how you do that. You've got to be born of water in the Spirit. That's baptism. You and I don't understand baptism until we know this, that this is tremendous. That in baptism we are born again. That God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, works in baptism. Peter said, this promise is unto your children. Let's start with the child. What about a child? When a child is born in this world, is a child born a Christian or is it not? Are you and I born Christians by virtue of natural birth? Jesus says that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and you've got to be born of the Spirit. By flesh, he doesn't mean you're just born a human being. Flesh in the Word of God also means you're born in sin. While a child has not done anything that is deliberately wrong, a child is born in the condition of sin. You may say, what about this thing of original sin? It is capable of dying, isn't it, a child? There are those that say a child isn't a sinner. He's innocent until he reaches the age when he knows right from wrong. But I'd like to ask you if that's true, and Scripture doesn't say that, why is it that every last one of us, when we reach the age of knowing right from wrong, we always went to the wrong? Why is it there isn't a human being that's ever been born except Jesus Christ that has ever lived a perfect life? There's something wrong with you and me by birth. We are born in the condition of sin. Here is baptism, and Peter says this promises to your children. By baptism we are born again. The Holy Spirit, by means of water and the Word of God, again it comes to the child, puts a living faith in that child, washes away its original sin, and grants unto it eternal life, even though the child is not conscious of it, and the Holy Spirit moves in. Peter said, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. How about an adult? An adult can come to faith in Jesus Christ without baptism. Through repentance and faith, and by means of faith, the Holy Spirit moves in and he becomes the temple of God. Then we say, what about baptism? Well, the very fact that an adult has come to faith in Christ without baptism doesn't mean that baptism is not still a washing of regeneration, that it's not still a being born again. When an adult submits to baptism, it's more than water on the head. The Holy Spirit, by means of water in the Word of God, there is again an entrance into that person's heart. The Holy Spirit dwelling there, bringing forgiveness, life, and salvation. Let me tell you, baptism does something. You receive the Spirit. And because this is it, this is tremendous, this is why it is necessary Peter knew what it was. He was baptized by John the Baptist. Even though a man may wander away, Peter was never rebaptized. Some have asked me, do you have to be baptized over again? Oh, no. 
When God in baptism makes a covenant with you and me and the Holy Spirit comes and claims us as his own, he never goes back on his bargain. You and I may wander away. There's nothing in the word of God that says I've got to be rebaptized or baptized over. Uh, Peter was not baptized over again. And on this day again, 3,000 souls were won for Christ and they were baptized. They received the Holy Spirit, but there's nothing in the Word of God that says that they received any extraordinary powers. Nothing is said that the 3,000 spoken languages that they didn't know or in unintelligible languages or that they had powers of healing. Not at all. In baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, again, brings us to faith in Jesus Christ. And if we are an adult, Again, it's a re-entry, a re-bringing, a rebirth again with Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. And this is an absolute essential because in the case of the child, there is no other way that we have whereby we can bring a child to saving faith in Christ. You may say to me this morning, what happens to the unbaptized baby? May I say this? The Word of God doesn't tell us. God says, that's my business. You baptize the child and you let me take care of the unbaptized child. This is an absolute essential. It's the only way that we have to assure us of eternal life for the child. And as regards the adult, to repudiate baptism is fatal. When an adult refuses baptism, it's not the absence of baptism. A man may die intending to be baptized and that isn't going to cause him to be lost. But when a man absolutely rejects baptism, then he is denying the command of Jesus Christ. Therefore, again, it's more than just sprinkling water on somebody's head. This is Trinity Sunday. And the Apostle Peter says to you and me today, if you want to be saved, then repent and be baptized. See to it above all that these things aren't cheap. These things aren't little good things. These things aren't absurd things. Peter would remind them these are absolute necessities. These must be in your experience and mine. And if they are, we ought to say to ourselves today then that I'm going to see to it, I, I want to be saved, and I'm assuming that most of us do. But we say, I want to be saved, and therefore I am going to see that I repent. And we ought to stop for a moment and say, well, what kind of repentance is mine? Is it a cheap old thing? What kind of a variety? Is mine a cheap repentance or is it a godly repentance? Have I admitted my sins? Have I told God I'm sorry enough to quit doing those things that are wrong? If I have, that's the kind of repentance that God wants. And again, those are necessities and gives you and me the assurance that the Holy Spirit is still working on us, that he hasn't left us. We need to look at ourselves and say, uh, what kind of a faith do I have in Christ? Is it a cheap faith? One that just ascends? Or have I really trusted him? Have I leaned heavily on him? Do I put my hope and my confidence in him? And when you and I have, it ceases to be cheap. This is, again, a faith in one who died for you and me. And we need, again, to look at ourselves and to probe and to say, have I been baptized? Have I been baptized? Again, have I been washed in this washing of regeneration, as St. Paul calls it, and a renewing of the Holy Ghost that he renews me? Then you and I can have the assurance and the double assurance with baptism that we are saved, that we do have eternal life. This is what Peter was talking about. And we ought to today then, when this is Trinity Sunday, we ought to 
thank God that he made himself known to us as a triune God. We may say to ourselves, what's so wonderful about setting a Sunday aside and thanking God because he's triune? We may say, who understands that God is one God and yet three persons, separate and distinct, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? You may remember it was Daniel Webster, you know, when he came from church in Boston, Massachusetts, one Sunday when he met the friend who said, and there's a man that goes to a church that believes that three times one equals one. And remember, it was Daniel Webster that said to his Unitarian friend, he said, but you and I are not to know the arithmetic of heaven, that in heaven three times one equals one, on earth three times one equals three. We may say, what's so wonderful about it? Why did God ever make himself known to us as one God and three persons when God knew that you and I could never understand it? Unless you and I can understand why he did it, we're missing something. The reason he did it was this. God says, I've got no risk letting them know the kind of a God I am because I want them to know the way to heaven. I want them to know about my son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the reason why God ever revealed himself as the Trinity, as a three-in-one God, was to assure you and me that he is a God of mercy and love, that he has a magnificent obsession that he wants to save. That's why you don't understand the joy of the Trinity. Bless you and I can say God wanted us to know that he loves us. That again, he'd rather forgive and save than to eat. He wanted us to know that Jesus was his son. Therefore, he risked revealing himself in his essence that knowing you and I couldn't understand it. The Trinity means this, that God, God is magnificently crazy. God is magnificently insane. He bends over backwards. He'd rather do with the need to save you and me. What do you think that meant to Peter that day? Put yourself in his place just 53 days after he did what he did. And I'm telling you as a human being, you go ahead and disgrace yourself and defame the name of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, 53 days later, you aren't over it. Boy, that's a cut in there. And Pete Johnson had it. I wonder how many times he despaired. We're told in tradition that every time he heard a rooster crow, he got down on his knees and he cried. Anybody here this morning who is despairing because of his sins, who is saying, I've repented, and I have put my faith in Christ, and I've been baptized, and yet I feel so hopeless. I don't feel like I'm saved. Listen, friend, you've got a triune God. And let me tell you, he is saying to you and me this morning, I've let you know my essence. I know you wouldn't understand because I want you to know that I'm a magnificently, gloriously insane God. I wanted to save you that much that I told you about myself that you'd never understand. Let me tell you, Pete Johnson must have been comforted many a time when again despair would come. He had to live with this thing. The other, they all knew about it. Don't you forget that they reminded him of it, what he had done. Don't you forget that again he had to live with it. And it was a tough job to forgive himself, but God was trying. Never despair. Let Trinity Sunday mean this. What a God we've got. A God that is magnificently and hopelessly insane. But he says, if you just repent and believe in Jesus and be baptized... I'll save you whether you feel you're saved or whether you feel you're lost. Don't despair. Think of it in heaven. When Isaiah was given a vision in heaven, 
Have you realized when God let Isaiah, who lived 700 years before Christ, get a vision of heaven, he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, and the seraphim, the angels, the great host of angels around the throne, remember what they were singing? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They were singing praise to the triune God, Holy Father, Holy Son, Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the Trinity. Let you and me know what a tremendous God we've got. Gloriously, magnificently insane. Oh, he just wants to save. Don't despair. Peter didn't. Oh, he had some rough days. He lived with it for the rest of his life. But let me tell you, repent. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized. Walk the glory road. And find the joy of singing the song on earth. Of that 10,000 times 10,000, 100 million angels sing in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabbath, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Oh, what a great God. Santos, 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 God. You want to save and I am saved even though I don't feel it. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding. Keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.